0: You know, I don't know whether it's just consumerism that we experience on a day-to-day basis in our culture or not uh, that creates some of this. You know, like when you serve or or when you you do things, you kind of have sometimes, maybe if you're like me, this little question that kind of is underneath it going, what's in it for me? Ever have that? You know, kind of, did I get anything out of this? Is it worth my time? In underlining the uh, whole idea of service, because as we look at this chapter, as we move into this new section here in Matthew, we've been in Matthew for the last couple of years, probably about a year and a half or more, is this whole idea of serving, and particularly in this passage, the idea of expectations. And we live in this consumer world where, you know, you pay and then you get something in return. And I think it has a way of underlying a lot of the things we do you know you think about it um i i remember even early in my marriage um i'll confess some of you guys may do this you know if you like were vacuuming around the house and you did it kind of unasked you know you just were doing it out of the goodness of your heart how many of you just kind of went you know you didn't want to be recognized or seen or appreciated or didn't expect something am i the only guy you know, you do something for your wife, and you're kind of like, you know, you know, there's like this, I did this, so you're kind of thinking, you know, pat on the back or attaboy or something. You know, that kind of thing. We just have that kind of wired in us, and I don't think it's really about, you know, this whole uh, world that we live in today. In fact, as you look at Scripture, and you specifically look at this chapter that we're looking at, you'll find that Jesus says it's just a part of human nature. We're kind of wired. for this whole kind of payment kind of idea that if I do this, I work and I do that, then I get this in return. It underlines a lot of the things we do. When you do another person good, when you serve, let me ask you, do you do it without expectations? This Christmas we we sing a, a song that says, you know, be good for goodness sake. How many just serve for the sake of serving? When you come to church, when you came to church this morning, did you come in thinking, I'm here to really serve God and give myself to Him, and it's, it's all about what can I offer you, God, without any expectation? Or do you kind of come in, it's pretty natural, what am I going to get out of this? What's in it for me? Is it worth my time? What's well, interesting is that Peter asked a very similar question. When you, when you look at this study and you go back to chapter 19, where we were just back in December, See, Jesus had just been talking to this rich young leader who had come to him. And this guy had come and asked how he could you know, get eternal life. What could he do to get it? And Jesus listed all these good things if he would you know, just follow these commands. And the guy said, I've done all these. And Jesus didn't list all of them, so he kept you know, one of them specifically out. And when he laid that one out, the guy goes, that's just too much for me. And Peter's really a bit shaken. And Peter, really, you have to think about as a spokesman for all 12. They're all shaken at this point because this guy was a great candidate. I mean, he was rich, he was young, he was willing, he was a leader. He was a person you would want to be, one of your followers, because he could make things happen. And if this guy can't get in with all that he can give and what you can get in return, Peter's wondering and he looks at Jesus at a certain point and he says to to Jesus on behalf of the twelve, you know, we've given up everything for you. What, what are we going to get in return? What's in it for us? And I think it's interesting is that Jesus shares with Peter all the things he's going to receive. He actually goes through and he lists for him a whole bunch of things. He says, you know, you will sit on 12 thrones and, and you guys will receive a hundred times as much. In fact, you're going to inherit the very life of God, the very life that God lives, not just in the forever some time, but now you can walk in this kingdom rule and know this life of God that I'm living before you. This is all the stuff you're going to get. But really what is interesting is Jesus understands underlying that question that Peter is just off base. He's not really on target. He's a part of what we find in all our hearts. What am I going to get for what I give? He's in this payment mentality. And so this parable that Jesus shares here in Matthew 20 is really in some ways an answer to Peter's question in a more fuller sense. In fact, this parable is only recorded in this gospel, not in any of the other gospels. And so Matthew includes it purposely here on the heels of this account of this rich young ruler and Peter's question because he wants us to get something straight as we look at Jesus' life as it heads into the last part, the last six months of His ministry. He's now coming to the finish line where He came on this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This Jesus now coming, sharing His whole life. It's all about serving. He's coming to the end and He once again is wondering because before we looked at chapter 13, they didn't quite understand what community and trust and vulnerability was about. Now he's beginning to hear in the voice of Peter, and the voice of the 12th, and the voice of all of us. You know, I'm serving you, so what do I get for it? And he wants to correct it. He wants them to really understand, so he, he tells his story. And he wants us to know, and Jesus wants to make it clear, although that you are going to receive for what you give, All that you get is a gift. Every one of us are called to serve God merely because God is God. Every one of us is called to serve other people merely because the image of God is within you and that person you're serving. Every one of us is called to serve this creation that God has so... Wonderfully put together for us that we're to, to use it in a way that regards and respects it because the fingerprints of God are all over it. And so if you listen to this chapter and this these words, and we're gonna actually begin in verse thirty because in in, in the The Gospel of Matthew that he had written and sent out, there weren't little verse notations and chapter headings, and there weren't these little headings that were above it. You would go right from one line to the next, and if you were to read it that way, you would see verse 30. Really, is an incredible hinge point, because it has the same idea and ends with what is found in verse 16 of chapter 20. And you see it kind of frames this. And so, listen to it if you would, as we read this together. Chapter 19, verse 30. "...but many who are first will be last." And many who are last will be first for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the days and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go to work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning it's beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius so when those who came who were hired first they expected to receive more but each one of them also received a denarius and when they received it they began to grumble against the landowner these who were hired last worked only one hour they said And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Did not you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious Because I am generous. And Matthew writes again, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's just bow our heads. Father, this whole idea of serving is really important. And it's important in your heart and mind that we get it right. Jesus, you are an incredible model to us. Thank you for these words. I pray, Spirit of God. Open our hearts and speak through my mouth. Things that would help us know you better. Help us live more like you. Give freedom to your spirit to work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want you to note as we look at this passage first, the very first thing I want you to note is that when it comes to serving, you need to be very careful about your expectations. Matthew frames this parable, as I said, with the Proverbs. Look at verse 9, chapter 19, verse 30. He writes, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then he bookends it, again, with verse 16 of 20. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. These two verses, as they come together, is interesting because the Proverbs, in a sense, state the truth, and the parable actually just illustrates it. He basically says, here's the truth, and let me give you a story, and let me end it with the truth. And this proverb, if you think about it, is really the key to the passage, because in it, it contains the reality that Jesus wants us to know about serving Him, which is this idea that we need to be very careful how we serve and what our expectations are, like when we serve God and when we serve one another. And as often as Jesus does, the punchline kind of shocks the listeners. It shocked them when he got done with this story and he walked away from the rich young ruler and it shocks them again when they hear it at the end of this little parable. Because the life of Jesus, the life He calls us to live, lives counterculture to everything that we experience from the day we are born. In our hearts, there is this need to do and to be recognized, this need to pay and then to be paid back, to serve and to somehow get something back from our servant so jesus in a sense lives life upside down is the way i'd look at it he calls us to do the same thing one commentator says these words these little proverbs are are a radical reversal that subverted conventional wisdom see conventional wisdom would say the guys who lurk longest should get paid the most their expectations were right in line with what they were thinking I mean, I was just away here for a little bit right after this busy Christmas time, got some time away with my wife, and I was in the airport just the other day. And I'm one of those guys who are notorious for when when it, you know, when it's time to get on the plane, I like to try and be the first guy in the line. Anybody else like that? And some of you are really relaxed and just got sit back to go. Why do I want to sit on the plane when I can sit here? You know that kind of thing. But. I'm the kind of guy who's jockeying for position. And as one comedian, Brian Regan, says, he says, when did the words from the ticketing agents in a few moments will be boarding the plane mean everyone raced to the front of the line? Well, what's interesting here is conventional wisdom would say the guy in the front gets to go first. But you know what happens is in Jesus when he tells this story and he begins to tell us how God's economy works and how he reverses the order of things, it shocks us. And so it would be as if I'm standing in that line and I got in that first position. I'm really excited to get on a plane and all. she says, we're going to do something a little differently today. A little unconventional. The guys who are in the back, oh, you can get to go on first. It's kind of what happens as this story is being told. And so Jesus, before we even get there, gives you kind of the punchline. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And when it comes to serving, your reward is with God, and it's determined by God. In a sense, God levels our expectations. His, his, his way of giving to us is not measured in the way that we often think. Be careful about setting expectations when you talk and think about serving God and in serving others. When it comes to the length of service, heroic service, the kind of sacrifice you do. Because serving will be rewarded by God according to His will. And the key to this passage, and particularly this proverb, is that whatever position you might be in, our Heavenly Father's reward comes solely as a gift from God. Catch that doesn't matter what position you're in, it is a gift from God. So he kind of lays that as a basis. Now look at the parable, the story itself. And I want to do this. When it comes to serving, I want you to think for a moment, where are you in this story? It's very important when you think about Scripture. Anytime you read Scripture, one of the things I want you to do is to read it and start asking yourself often, where do I fit in this story? It's not just a story that you read, oh, that's interesting about something way back then. What you need to do, especially with the parables of Jesus, because this is what he was doing, he was giving the story that people would somehow find themselves fitting into that story. So I want you to ask yourself, where are you in this story? And as we read it, just pay attention to that because it's just a simple two-part story part one is verses one through seven it is about hiring workers you look at chapter verse one and you go to verse seven it's all about the hiring of these workers you go to the second part of the story it's verses eight through 15 it's all about the payment of the workers the story is a pretty simple story god's the landowner the vineyard is this world that we live in and the workers are you and me And what would happen in this story? You see, at harvest time, depending upon the size of the harvest, the landowner would... Get some temporary laborers to help with the heavy harvest if it was a big harvest season He would go down there and get some workers to help with that harvest It's really not a whole lot different than what we do at christmas time when there's a when the when the stores are Expecting more customers you hire more people for a short period of time or if you get a big order in a in a plant And you then decide for production's sake you need to have you know some employees do a third shift So they maybe actually do more or maybe you have to even hire some to help with that shift. That's what's going on on here this landowner has this vineyard it's around harvest time and in israel they would have on the sides of these mountains often they would have these vineyards and when the vineyards came into season you had to get them off before they spoiled before they rotted and so they would have just like you know if you've been a farmer yourself or a family who have been farmers you have this busy season of harvest time that's what's going on here What's different in this day, in that age, was that the work day had to be regulated according to the hours of the sunlight. It's not like farms today where you go out and you see these huge lights or these hot lights on these tractors and they can work all night long if they want. They would work usually from about 6 a.m. to about 6 p.m. They had about a 12-hour day in which they needed to get the harvest in. So the landowner, he arrives early because he knows he needs some workers. It's about 6 a.m., And he hires a bunch of workers and those landowners, he meets with this first batch of workers and he agrees with them that he will give them, each of them, a denarius. And a denarius wasn't necessarily a dollar, it was a day's wage. He's basically being very fair, very upfront with them and saying, you know, I'll pay you what a day's laborer's wage is. One denarius of you, if you work in my field from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., from sunrise to sundown, And so they go off, they're excited. You know, obviously they're kind of excited because they, of a group of people who are hoping to get work, got work. It'd be no different than the person who goes, man, I was looking for a second job to gain some extra income and I'm really excited they hired me here. That's what's going on. So these guys are hired. Well, the landowner... After he makes that deal, he realizes he needs a few more people to help with the harvest. And so he after finishing some business up around town, he sees some guys standing around a place where they hire people to work the town square, and he hires about a few more people at the third hour, which is about nine AM. So there's a new crew that comes at nine AM. The landowner here at this point only guarantees that he'll give them a fair wage. Doesn't say anything about a Denarius. And then he does the same thing about the sixth hour which is about noon. He does the same thing about the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. So he's got these shifts starting at 6, 9, noon, 3. And he agrees with these last guys to give him a fair price again. Now it's the 11th hour. It's 5 p.m. It's You know what it's like when it's about 5 p.m. You see the long shadows and the sun's about to go down. It starts to cool off a little bit. He's walking once again and he sees guys standing around, hanging around, which is really kind of an interesting thing because how many people are going to hang around hoping to get work as a day laborer out in the vineyard when there's only an hour left? That's kind of an unusual twist in the story anyway, but this guy, he comes out about 5 p.m., he sees these guys, he says, you guys, I need still some more, we're really needing to get the rest of the stuff in. You know, it's like the fields are ripe for harvest and, and their labor's needed, said Jesus. And so here he goes, he gets these guys, he doesn't even tell them that he's going to give them what the price is. They're just so happy to get work. They're just going, I can't believe we were just waiting around here. I can't wait to tell my friends I got hired. I like the way that the message paraphrases. At 5 o'clock, this guy, the owner, goes back, found still others standing around. And he said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? (laughs) And they said, because no one has hired us. And he told them, go to work in the vineyard. They're thrilled to work. They have no expectations. So back to my question. Where are you when it comes to serving? Where are you in the story? When did you punch in? All the time, God's inviting us all the time. God's inviting us to, to come along with him and to some way participate so think about it for a second. You know, Did you punch in, in a early, early on? Maybe so long ago. you can hardly remember when God called you and you answered an invitation. But it was years ago. Maybe it was when you were a little kid. And at that time as a little kid, you answered this call of God. He invited you. You opened your heart to Him and you received Him and said, God, come into my life. And you punched the clock and said, God, I want to be your servant. And you have been living for quite some time now. You've been working the fields for God. It's been sometimes in the heat of the day. You've put in some real sacrifice. You've really worked hard. You've given yourself. You've expended yourself. And you have this sense in your heart over time that in some ways, God, you know, you wouldn't say this, but our heart begins to move this way. Somehow, God's a little obligated to me. He owes me a little bit. When did you punch in? Maybe a little later. Maybe the third hour. You know, maybe for some of you, it was more like around 9 a.m. It was more your teenager, college years. It was a time when, when God was working in your life. You began to see it, and as a teenager or college person, you said, you know what, God, I really want to cooperate with you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I opened my heart to you. I asked that you would come and forgive me and and, and then begin to move into my life. Maybe you punched in the sixth hour when you started having kids or after having a couple of kids. Maybe it's in your late 20s or your 30s. You started building your career and you realized maybe at that point as a guy, you really wanted God involved in your life. And you thought, well, man, we need to do this as a couple. Or maybe as a wife, you're in a position where you've got these young little kids and you're going, God, I really want to make sure these kids grow up in a way that they know you. And you punched in and you said, God, I want to serve you. Or maybe it's later in your life. It was more like the ninth hour. You're in your forties or fifty. You'd found success in your work. And as you found success and you've done good things, you began to realize it was a little hollow. What you were really serving and working for, what you were, you were giving your life for wasn't really paying off what you hoped it would. And you came to a place and said, God, I just want to open my heart to, I want to, I want you to be engaged in my life here. Or it could have been that in those later years you had been married for maybe 20, 25 years and your kids are now grown and you're in this place you're, as a wife you're feeling empty. You're not really sure what to give yourself to now. Or maybe you're in a position where you went through a very difficult, painful divorce and you find yourself where you're lonely and you're afraid and you turn to God and you said, God, I wanna, I wanna punch in. I want you to be a part of my life. And maybe it's the 11th hour. There's a gentleman in a church um, not too long ago, about a year or so ago, 74 years of age, punched in and said, God, I, I, I've given so much, but the one thing I've never done is given myself to you. Or like uh, Bruce Gilbert shared with me just this last week or so it was with his dad at 89 years of age. I was um, near going to be with the Lord. He actually had the funeral this last week and He would seen his kids, seen their lives, and at a certain point he said, I need what you guys have, and he opened his heart. At 89 years of age, the 11th hour. Where are you in the story? Maybe you're still wondering what it means to serve God and to live this life that Jesus has called you to experience. And you haven't even punched in yet, but God is beginning to draw your heart. Over these last few months, things have been happening in your life, with people coming in your life, with God um, moving in your life, with things occurring, and you're going, maybe God's inviting me, and God is asking you right now to consider whatever age you're at. Here's here's the really cool thing, the wonderful thing about God. The generosity of God is not so much evidenced in his payment for the work done, the denarius, the day wage. I mean Peter and them asked him, you know, God will I get this and he, he told them they're getting some really good stuff. I mean, a hundred times your investment's a good thing. You may not get it now, but you're going to get that. This life to live with God, the life, the ability to live with Him now, for Him to enter into your life and begin to create in you the kind of things you couldn't create in yourself, to begin to change your character, to make you a person who really is loving, who begins to give you the ability to listen to your spouse, or to gives you the ability to have wisdom as you work with the people and your coworkers. All the different things that God can do when you open your heart and you begin to surrender yourself to Him, and you say, I want to be a servant. But here's the really cool thing. The thing that... God is so generous about. He waits for you. He is longing for you. You can deny Him. You can forget about Him. You can live indifferent to Him. But at 89 years of age, God's still generous. He's still inviting you. And so at 74 and 89, there's a person who says, God, I have not lived for you, but I'm so grateful that you can let me punch in. I want to tell you, It's a wonderful thing to punch in at the 11th hour, but it's also an incredibly, incredibly wonderful thing to punch in early in your life. But I have a warning for you who have punched in early in your life. I said it in the first hour and I'll say it again. I really would love for us to live with 11th hour kind of punch in hearts. Because the 11th hour punch-in people don't look around at others. They're so thrilled with the very fact that this landowner would give them an opportunity to work, that they had no expectations. They served for goodness sake. They served because they realized the one they were serving. It was a privilege, an honor. In fact, the, the point that I have here very closely related to this is when it comes to serving, it's always a privilege. And the earlier you punch in, the easier it is to lose fact of the truth that it is a privilege to serve God. It is a privilege to have him cooperate with you in your life. See, the landowner didn't have to hire anyone. He didn't have to. He didn't have to hire you. He didn't have to bring come into your life and invite you to know him at that young age. But he did. Our privilege in the vineyard of life is to go to work as soon as the Lord calls us and to do what he tells us and to do it without expectation, to know the reason we serve him is he's God. And he is so incredibly wonderful that who he is draws us to him. It's not about payment. And so as you're serving God, a privilege or a payment, I was thinking about it and I, I don't have the best illustration to illustrate this, but I, I, I don't know what really turns your crank around the idea of serving. But let's just say... Um, The president called you personally and said, you know, I'd like you to come to the White House or pay your way, but what I'm asking you, I'd like you to serve some of these dignitaries coming from other countries. For most of us, that kind of call would be a privilege or let's just say you don't really, let's say you don't care about this president or whatever, let's use it. Maybe the king or queen of England says, you know, for the big royal wedding or the big thing to happen, you know, they wanted you to come and they wanted you to help participate in some way in that. I mean, you would go, wow, that's that's really cool. You would probably tell your friends or maybe some of you maybe need to hear it this way. Let's just say Billy Graham. He's kind of near the end of his life and he calls you up and he says, I'd really like for you to come. I got some guests coming. Would you mind serving coffee? How many of you would go? Yeah, but what's the payment? How many of us go, I God, what's the payment? And I've been out there for hours. Serving God is always a privilege. But I share with you something else that I think is really important here. And that is this. Serving God, not only is it a privilege, but you need to realize this when it comes to serving. You need to keep your eyes on God and his goodness. You need to keep your eyes on God and His goodness. One of the problems that happens when you punch in early, it's really easy to start looking at other people. It's really easy for your heart to be infected with this thing called fairness. How many of you have had kids? You know that. You know that cry. You've got little siblings. I was, I had an older brother. I have two daughters that are two years apart. You know what I mean, isn't it? You know, they look at the other one and go, well, they got a bigger piece of pie than I did. I mean, it could be a sliver. That's not fair. What do you mean they get to stay up a half hour later? And you as a parent are kind of going, man, I give you the world. Come on. This is not about fairness, but we fall into the little game. God doesn't fall into the little game. It is a privilege to serve God. And the reality is that God in his goodness, if you keep your eyes on him, will keep you focused on what he's giving to you. And what's most important is what he's giving to you is all that you need to live this life. There will be people, believe it or not, that maybe if you look around might be better looking than you. There may be some people look around might have a little more wealth than you. There may be some people who are more gifted and talented. I wish I could play the guitar like he plays the guitar. I wish I could sing like they sing. I can't do either. But you know what? God has gifted me to do exactly what he wants me to do. It, it, it's fairness. And when you look at what God has to say, you look at the text. He comes back to the guy and he says, Didn't I? he uses the word friend. It's not friend like fill out all this word kind of like it's more like a like, a, you know, a chum, you know, really. He uses, it's kind of like, hey, bud. That's really what it hey, bud. Didn't I pay you what I said I was going to pay you? You see, when we lurk for God and serve Him for a long time, we get this idea, this obligation kind of mindset that somehow our serving and we do all this sacrificing, look God, we've tithed, we've given, but we look at those people around us and we start to compare ourselves and we start to compare ourselves instead of seeing God and His goodness and what He wants and He has designed for you. He has given you everything you need to live this life exactly how He wants you to live it to serve and bring glory to Him. So if you look at this, what happens is you get this fairness mindset and we're like a little bunch of little kids. Here's God. Jesus is saying to Peter and all the rest, Now wait a second, you guys, it's not about being fair. It's about God being faithful. That's really the best the idea there. And so if you, you read this, you see they're looking around and you can tell when you're out of sorts with God. The moment your attitude comes up in these ways, you have lost your sight on God and His goodness and what He's giving to you and His faithfulness to you, and you are now looking at others, and you're beginning to see yourself in an obligation kind of mindset with God. God, I'm serving you, so you better Look at verse eleven. These guys get paid, they compare and they grumble. When they received their payment, they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 13, 12, they complained and felt burdened. These men that you have hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. You can catch their tone. Serving God is no longer a joy, it was a burden. Because they're looking at what other people have. Rather than looking what God has for them and what God has done. I mean, when you look at it, what, the, what he's talking to is the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. He's talking to them and saying, you know what? So if God brings in the Gentiles or God brings in a person who seems like the, the thief on the cross, the last minute, who are you to say that what he is giving him should not be given to him? He has given to you what he's called and said he would give to you. The Jews, if they would only look at what they had, you look at all the things God had done. He had raised up Abraham. He had given Moses the law. He had given David the kingdom. All all throughout the whole, he had been faithful all the way up into these people. And what happens is when you start looking at other people, when you start getting your eyes on others, here's the thing that's really sad. These people who were standing in front of him, who heard this story, they were seeing God in flesh. They were seeing the very presence of God. They were seeing the, the miracles of God occurring. And yet they couldn't see them because it says in verse 15, they had an evil eye, which is, is the idea the idea that it was envious. It was jealous is what he says in verse 15. Why should you grumble? Are your hearts envious that I'm generous to someone else? And here is the presence of God. And here's what happens when you live this way. You miss you miss the signs and workings of God in your life. Think about it a second. You get distracted by something that isn't yours. And you miss the very thing that is yours. And here's what I love about God. When you check your attitude and you begin to see you know this grumbling, you begin to understand that, and you you recognize what your eye is on. He has the way, if he'll allow him to do it, bring you to a place to almost offend you in order to save you from all that kind of grumbling unjoyful burdensome life because finally when it comes down to it, serving is all about grace it goes back to the proverb our life with god our service to him your service to the image of god and someone else your service to this creation that he has made that we're responsible for is all about a relationship of grace it's not about works lest any person here boast In an unforgettable way, Jesus taught that life and His daily presence in your life are gifts of His generous love. They are pure gifts, unearned, undeserved. We, as His servants, are to live with this awareness always. Now, here's the thing. The longer you serve God, the easier it is to move from a grateful, joyful response to God's love to a self-righteous response sense of God obligation to you because of your hard work and your years of sacrifice let's think about it a second we'll kind of close on this Jesus purposely does an interesting thing here in this story you you know what the entire problem could have been solved but the entire problem rests with the landowner it's his fault not because he paid them the same but because he paid the last workers first. You know, a good businessman would know this. You don't pay those people first. Why not pay the last workers last and then put them under a strict code of silence? Right? Maybe a good businessman's gonna say to that guy, you know, you don't tell anyone who your salary is. If you do, you're gonna, you know, forget your job. Or as they hand you the bonus at the end of the year, they say, you know what, these bonuses are confidential. I don't want you sharing them with anybody because you share it with anybody, you're not going to get another one of these. But the landowner, as Jesus puts the story, intentionally has the last guys, the one-hour workers, go first. And Jesus does it for a reason because he's making a point that could actually save your soul today from living this burdensome, unjoyful, God owes me, he's obligated kind of life. And I'm really speaking to some of you who punched in early. It is all about grace. And the great reversal is this incredible truth that is often our religious, sacrificial sense of goodness, our thinking ourselves being righteous. It's those who look closest to God that in their hearts can sometimes be farthest from God. You can look really good to other people here. But you can be like the first batch of workers. Upset and angry. And these attitudes just spill out. I tell you... The thing that saved my life, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I grew up in the church. I was a really pretty good kid and doing a lot of bad things. I remember being in a a youth choir kind of thing, and we had to give testimonies, and I was kind of wondering what kind of testimony I could give, because I really hadn't fallen into drugs and done all these things that you're not supposed to do. And, And I remember going to a Christian college, and I remember thinking to myself, at a certain point, God saved me in a way that was phenomenally gracious. Because I didn't realize, it wasn't until I came to realize that my goodness just wasn't good enough. And the other part was that my badness was a lot worse than I ever knew. And then God exposed my heart. I remember thinking to myself at that time, you know, if I had been a drunk in the gutter, I'd gone to something like this, I would probably be in such a place of the end of myself and dependency that I would cry out to God. But you know what? You may never have punched in, and you may be relying right now on your own goodness, and you may have no idea how much your badness keeps you from the very presence and life of God. Or you may have punched in a long time ago, and you're living not in His presence today because you somehow think your goodness is bringing His life, and it isn't. It is a gift, it is a grace. Always God moves from a payment kind of life to a beautiful attraction kind of life. And I'm going to ask these guys to sing this song. Cause This song, um, let it speak to your heart. Let, let these words as they sing this draw you to Him and uh, know His goodness in His heart.